A few months ago, my two-year-old was watching one of her shows, and I was in the kitchen, and she came running in, and she was scared of whatever was on. It was probably like Little Mermaid and Ursula like came on the scene or whatever, and it scared her. And so I went and I grabbed the remote, and I was like, boop, boop, boop. And I just fast forwarded past that part and then set it down, and then she just was happily on her way. I just skipped the scary stuff, right? And then she was fine. My son, who's 13, he didn't know the real beginning of Finding Nemo until he was about 10. <laughs> if you don't know, the mother and all the billions of babies get eaten and die at the beginning. They're all happy, happy. We're having all these babies. They all get eaten and killed, murdered. And then all that's left are dad and, the ba and one baby, right? Well, we just cut that part out. So the movie for Noah always started with the dad fish and his little baby boy with the lucky fin, you know? He had no idea the murder and chaos that had taken place because we knew he just was not, my son was very sensitive and it was like, that will haunt him for the rest of his life. The day that I fast forwarded that show is what started this whole summer series because it got me thinking, man, what if we had a remote where when we got to the scary parts, we could just go doot, 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 and just kind of blip past it. And then we're back in like the bright and happy version of what our lives were, where we have the power to skip an entire section. Like when I had postpartum depression. Oh, yeah, fast forward that eight months, right? Let's just get past all the medication, all the tears, all the despair. Uh, oh, right there, play, and just be through it. Or maybe we rewind a little bit to back to when we weren't sick. Back to when our child was kind of near us and in our home and we could care for them and they weren't off doing who knows what. Back to when maybe our marriage was happier, when we were still in love. We'll just rewind back to that. Or maybe, you know, who doesn't want to use the mute button? <laughs> Every now and again, if you're married or have kids or in-laws, or parents, right? We'll just take a, uh, we'll just, just, just stop that. Your boss, uh, you know, is <laughs> talking to you. That'd be kind of sweet. Or your kids, even. Just mute, right? Um, I looked on this. There's a thumbs down message. You're in an argument with someone. Thumbs down. That's not, uh, that's not working for me. There's a record option, so in that argument, or you know you're right, and they're, they're, they'll know later, you're just going to record it for later. <laughs> oh, what'd you say? Could you, could you repeat that? And then later when they deny it, you're like, blip, 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 there it is. I mean, think of all the possibilities if we could just control it all with this little remote. If only God would give us control. But let me tell you when my two-year-old does get control of the remote, it's chaos. Because she doesn't know what she's doing. She shuts it off. She turns it on. She mutes it. She goes to some other HDMI, who knows what, and messes the whole system up. She doesn't understand that maybe the part she just skipped actually makes the end make sense. Right? She mutes things she needs to hear. She changes the channel to something that might not be good for her, but she doesn't know any better. 
And that's why we don't let her have the remote. We don't let our two-year-old run the remote in our house. We take control. We know how to use it. We know what she wants. We know what she needs. We know what she doesn't need. We know what to fast-forward past. We know what to mute. We know when to press pause so we can have a conversation with her and talk to her or explain what's going on or whatever. Many of you this morning are wishing you had a remote for your life with like the show that you're in, the season that you're in. You are stuck in a show that you just do not want to be in. I thought of some examples, like maybe you're in an episode of Real Housewives and there's like so much drama like of the OC, you're like, I'm just over it, right? Too much drama. You're in a Nicholas Sparks movie on Netflix, like tissues and tears and heartbreak and, you know, Rocky. You're just just fighting. You feel like there's so much contention and you're fighting. Maybe you're in a horror movie and there's lots of jump scares and you don't know what's around the next corner and it feels dark, maybe feels a little demonic and spooky and unnerving HGTV, but you're the one being completely made over, completely renovated from the bottom up. Or maybe you're just watching a golf tournament and you're like, (laughs) you know, no offense golfers, but maybe your life is just meh. It's okay. It's, It's going along fine. Nothing exciting. So how do you find peace and contentment when you're in a season that you're bored of, or you're scared in, or you feel overwhelmed by, or you're just over. Well, Paul tells us in the the book of Philippians that he has learned to be content, that he's learned the secret. And he's in prison when he writes this letter. He's like literally chained to a guard, incarcerated in some small apartment in Rome. Even in this circumstances, he's like, I've learned to be content. So read with me Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any, any, and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul has somehow mastered contentment. The word for content is otarkes, and it's actually a Greek term which meant to be self-sufficient, to have enough, to be satisfied. But an important part of this word is it was being satisfied regardless of circumstances. Does that make sense? It indicates an independence. So Paul's contentment was not dependent on what was going on in his life. His circumstances had zero influence on whether or not he was content. This term was used in some places outside of Scripture to refer to a person who supported himself without anyone's aid. So he didn't need anyone's help outside of himself to be satisfied or to be 
content. For most of us, we feel content when all of our external circumstances sort of line up, right? It's a lot easier. So, so most of us, our external circumstances actually dictate whether or not we're content. And it wasn't that way with Paul. His external circumstances had nothing to do with how his contentment, where it sat. The contentment Paul is talking about didn't, the external factors didn't factor in. He just felt, he just felt content, period. This kind of contentment comes from within. It comes from within, and you're not going to get it out here. Paul's saying, I've learned to be satisfied. I've learned to be content in myself, and yet not in myself as Paul, but in myself as Christ in me, because he is sufficient. He is my contentment. I've been, over the last few weeks, I've been in my own struggle with some transitions in my life, and I'm in menopause, and I get these little depressive things that come, which are just a drag, right? And I have just started saying, Jesus, be my contentment. You're in me through this message. Be my contentment. You are my contentment. Say that out loud with me right now. Jesus, you are my contentment. That's truth. Paul had known abundance and deficit in money, in friendships, in health, in food, in time, but he had found the secret to being content no matter what situation he was in. Why do we want to master contentment? Well, the first one's kind of easy. It feels better, right? Contentment allows us to walk in trust and peace. It silences the enemy gives us rest from striving when we're content with where we're at, gives us confidence and assurance in this sense of contentment. But secondly, I have this great quote from an unknown author. Contentment is the most powerful proof to the truth of our Christian profession. So we say we believe we're in God's hands, right, as a believer. We say we believe that he's for us, that he's with us, that no matter what happens, he's got a plan for us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. Our lives aren't made up of chance. Well, contentment proves that we actually believe all that. Contentment proves that we believe what we say about God. It becomes clear to people around us that we believe we're in the hands of a loving God and that we trust him. Even when we're stuck in a show that we desperately want to show off, shut off. Or when the commercial breaks, breaks from the drama just aren't long enough for us to just catch our breath. And we long for just like a couple hours of mindless food network, right? Or some of you guys are like, a romantic comedy would be Hallmark Channel. I'll just take an hour of Hallmark Channel, some romance would be nice in my life, you know, a little excitement. In the roughest of times and of seas, you guys, our contentment preaches good news. Does that make sense to the world around us? Because they wonder, how are you doing so well when everything around you looks like it's crumbling? Like, how come you seem okay? How, where is that coming from? Because externally, your circumstances are pretty messed up, but you're, you seem to be doing okay. And like Paul, we say, you know what? It's because I can do all things because Christ is strengthening me, because he's inside me. He is my contentment in this season. 
No matter what we are currently seeing and hearing, we trust that Jesus in us will be enough. Jesus will be your enough. He is your enough. So Paul says he's learned to be content in all circumstances. He actually says every and any circumstance. That pretty much covers everything any of us could be walking through. He's been beaten, hated, gossiped about, judged, wounded, accused, threatened. He's like, I've learned to be content in every single one, every single place. Doesn't that sound good? Aren't you glad we're going to talk about how to do that? Yet he's learned to be content. He uses the word learned. It didn't come naturally to him. You can't go, well, Paul was an apostle, so he was like some superhero with the superpower of contentment, you know? Like when they're handing out superpowers, that's the one you're going to go for. You're like, laser eyes, yes. Contentment, next. You know, like, but he had to learn it. He didn't, it didn't come naturally to him. It's not in our human nature to feel just content. Just watch a child or like a kid on summer break, right? They just go from thing to thing. It only keeps them going for a few minutes, and then they're like, ah, next, next. You know, they move on to the next thing. They have the attention span of like a gnat. It's everywhere, They're dissatisfied with the current offering unless maybe they're numbing out on TV or YouTube, which is kind of how it is for many adults too, right? When we struggle and we're discontent and we don't like where we're at, we just numb out. We want to numb out, and it might be just binge-watching Netflix till 3 a.m., or maybe it's moving from another relationship to another relationship to another relationship so you don't have to stop and think about how discontent you are. Maybe it's going and buying a bunch of clothes that maybe you'll send back. Maybe you'll hoard them in your closet because it just feels better than feeling to kind of numb ourselves out. Whatever it takes to get any and every circumstance lined up just right so we can feel that contentment again. Are you here this morning and you are just like, I need to get to that place where I feel content no matter what is going on right now. I'm desperate for that contentment. In any and every circumstance, I need to feel content. In verse 12, Paul says there's a secret to it. And this phrase, learned the secret, can also be translated as I am instructed. Let me tell you about this phrase. This phrase in Paul's time was used to reference being initiated into the pagan cults that had special secrets for only the initiated to know. And Paul borrows that and says, I have been initiated into the secrets of contentment. As a believer, as a part of Christ's body, he's like, I now know the secret to contentment. I've learned the secret of living a contented life. Just before that, he had talked about he knows what it's like to be humbled. That word is just brought low. He knows what it's like to be brought low. He's been treated with contempt and indignity, and there's some of you here this morning, that is what you're dealing with. He suffered hardships and been left without a home. He said, I've been brought low, but I'm content. He wasn't depressed, cast down, hopeless, full of fear, complaining. He says, I've learned the secret to being content. He goes on to say he's had seasons of prosperity. But how many of you know that even in seasons of prosperity, we can lack contentment? Because we're kind of freaking out that we're going to lose all the things that we've gotten. 
And so then we get caught up in how do we make sure we don't lose what we've gotten and then we don't have peace again. Contentment is something we have to learn. It's something we have to work at. It's a discipline. It's like a lifestyle choice. Something that requires practice. Who plays an instrument in here? Anyone? Okay, when you're learning an instrument, you have to practice. So you're not just going to hear this message on contentment and it's going to get downloaded and then you're just going to go about your way. The Holy Spirit's there and he's going to help you, but some of this stuff is going to be put into practice after today to be able to begin walking in contentment. So we're going to let Paul be our teacher because he gives us many clues in this letter and I'm going to just go through some steps on being able to walk and rest in contentment. The first one is we have to redefine contentment. Contentment isn't happiness. Contentment isn't happiness. Though it's easier to be content when we're happy, that's reality. Paul understood that his contentment, his soul satisfaction, came from his relationship with Jesus and spending time. Jesus was his contentment. And Jesus wants to be your contentment. Paul's contentment wasn't determined by his external circumstances. It was determined by his internal faith. His trust in something bigger and the hope of Christ that was in him. So here's how I would redefine contentment after reading this text from Paul. Knowing Jesus and his strength are yours in this season. That's very different than being happy, isn't it? Knowing Jesus and his strength are yours in this season that you're in. And you find rest in that place. Number two, remember that Jesus still is. Paul was confident that the Jesus that walked the earth and did all these miracles still was for him in his day. And that he was available to him. And he still is available to us through the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, Paul says, I can do all. All things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's going to give you some peace. He's like anything that comes my way, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Anything coming your way this morning, ladies, some of you have stuff that's on the horizon and you know it's coming, you're not alone. You're not alone. I think one of the best ways to remember that Jesus still is is to be in the Word, spending time daily. And I'm a preacher, and it's hard for me to spend time daily because I'm a busy mom and all that, but we've got to be spending time daily with Him because that's going to refresh our soul, renew our minds, to remind us, you're not alone. You're not alone. Jesus is your sufficiency. He is enough. Third, be thankful. Verses 6 and 7 be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all, you're going to notice how many times we're hearing all in this one chapter, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace that makes no sense, because it's not based on your circumstances, it's coming from within, that's going to guard your mind and guard your heart. I think the peace of God is one of the main components of contentment, and it comes from within. Paul's like, bring them your cares. 
and approach him with thankfulness. Be thankful that he's had victory over evil in your life. Be thankful for his tender care over your life. Even if things look a mess right now, you know it's true. Be thankful for his presence in the midst of it all. Some people write gratitude journals where they just write the things that they can call out that they are thankful for. We can choose our attitude, and Paul would encourage us to choose thankfulness. Number four, trust God. Verse 19, my God shall supply all, all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He'll supply all your need. And you're like, God, look at the show I'm in. Where are you at? He sees it. He sees it. He knows, he knows where you're at, okay? And he, he's there. Notice how many times we see all. When you trust that, like Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, his peace will surpass all comprehension. God will supply all my need. Then you find that you can be t content in all your circumstances. Right? Paul's like, he can supply all my need. He can give me all the peace. I can do all things. So I'm going to be content in all things. That's really cool how he laid it out that way. Trust that God is with you. Trust that he's able to work all things out according to the counsel of his will and for your good. Even the bad things, he can deposit his Holy Spirit into and infuse them with his presence and his love and his purpose, and he can transform and redeem them. Number five, guard your mind. Four, verse eight, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, whatever things, it's like everything. Whatever you find when, you're, when you have, choose what you're going to think on, the things that are noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue in it, if there's anything praiseworthy about it, focus on that thing. Think about that thing. Meditate on these things. Not on all the junk, not on all the bad, not all, because that's where we go. It's like the gravity pulls us that way, but we've got to trudge uphill and focus on this. We can start out feeling content, right? We can start out feeling great, and then something pierces our bubble. Maybe it's a conversation with someone or something we see, and then it takes us down the wrong road. And then the negative thoughts start rolling in, and we start to focus only on the things that are wrong with our lives, and then our minds are brought low, like Paul was talking about. You got to put the brakes on if you get into that place where you're spir spiraling on all the negative talk, all the negative thoughts. Start thinking about the things you have and the goodness and faithfulness of God. He is able and he is strong. And you are on his radar. You're on the Father's radar. He, he knows right where you're at. And number six, this one's for me. Because today, this is a big one. Don't compare your situations to someone else's that you perceive as better. That is a quick trip to... Right? <laughs> That's the Greek. 
for that. <laughs> Several years ago, I took a friend to a cabin that we had in a little town called Groveland outside of Yosemite. I was so excited to show it to her. It was awesome. It was, it was in, from the 80s. It was built in the 80s. So let's say it had some character to it, okay? But there were deer. You could fish, swim, whatever. It was very cool. On the way there, she starts telling me about the timeshare that her and her husband had just bought in Colorado on the slopes. Beautiful. Uh, they had upgraded to the presidential suite. So it had a big great room and all these rooms. It was all new and shiny and pretty. And uh, you could ski right out your door, and they would warm your boots for you. They jokingly called it the Prezi, right? All of a sudden, my 23-year-old cabin in need of a paint job and some TLC um, didn't seem as wonderful. It, like, I went from Prezi to Deprezi <laughs> with just that conversation that we had. I could feel my, my excitement for my situation draining away, and I felt a little jealous and a little bit competitive. But look what she says. I was just looking around your property, and I'm thinking, she gets to come here anytime she wants? My boys would love running around on this property. All this room, what a great house. We only get our suite once a year. And she can come here all the time. She was feeling how I was, looking at my 1980s cabin. <laughs> we don't have time for that. Seriously, isn't that ridiculous? Both of us had allowed our contentment in our circumstance to be stolen by someone else's circumstances. Life is too short. Life is too short for that. That's why our contentment has to come from the inside. Because Christ is in us, and he is sufficient, and he is your contentment, and he is your enough. Okay? He will be your enough. As a side note, have you heard that researchers have conducted test after test after st test that show that people who spend a lot of time on social media are depressed and anxious. Like, science now confirms it. Like, it's, like, we all suspected it. They actually did a study that since Instagram came on the scene, self-harm in girls 10 to 13 went up 167%. Because people are giving phones to their 10-year-old daughters, and their daughters are on Instagram, and seeing all the perfection that's out there, and they can't measure up. And then I know a 14-year-old who I don't know her personally, but I know her circle, and she has this weird sight thing where people just say, you should just kill yourself. You're just fat, right? So think about it if you have kids. You're kind of throwing them into, like, the scariest part of New York or somewhere, you know, where you're not safe, and then you're walking away. So we know depression and anxiety, that's one of the reasons why we're seeing Xanax being prescribed at an all-time high right now, right? So when they did this study, one of the biggest reasons that it was causing depression and anxiety was envy. Envy. Let's see what the Bible says about envy. Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. But you can even see the inner to outer movement and outer to inner movement here. A heart at peace from within is going to give life to your body. 
But envy comes from outside, comes in and rots the bones. I've had rotten bones, I'll tell you what, I have. But I know if I walked more in this contentment of Jesus is my enough, Jesus is my contentment, I will not let those things in, I would be able to have that heart at peace. I feel like if contentment was like this raging fire, envy is like the fire hose, just putting it out. Closing up. The Holy Spirit is in us to equip us to walk in this contentment that Paul's talking about. It's not just a dream. It's something we can actually do and practice and ask for his help in. He equips us to feel satisfied. He empowers us and gives us the confidence to say, you know what? I am enough. I have enough because Jesus Christ in me is enough. And I have all I need in him. That's the core of what we believe. And if we can live in that place, everything else is just extra. Paul allowed the Spirit to have his work in him, and he was contented. Now, I know there are some of you here this morning, it's tough to feel content when things aren't going the way you hoped. You're like overturning couch cushions. Where is the remote, you know? Has anybody seen the remote? Like you're tearing apart the family room, trying to find the remote because you're like, pause, 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 pause. Pulling out the cord to the TV, just shut this thing off. I need it to be off. A diagnosis does that. A lost promotion, family drama, depression, breakup, upheaval, death. How do you feel content then? How do you feel content when that is happening? Paul says in verse 9, the things you have learned, the things you have received, the things you have heard and you have seen in me, Paul says, practice these things. Do what you're seeing me do, and the God of peace is going to be with you. So what have we seen in Paul? Paul's number one focus in his life was Jesus. At the expense of everything else, it was Jesus. He knew it was Christ who saved him. He knew it was Christ he lived for. Everything else was loss, and Christ was gain. That's how Paul was. His own life didn't matter compared to sharing the love of God, expanding his kingdom. His aim was to be pleasing to God, number one. So when you don't get that promotion, you're like, okay, God, where do you want me that's going to be pleasing to you? How do I behave that's going to be pleasing to you? I'm distraught that this is happening. I'm going to focus on you. What do you need? How can I serve you? You are my enough. Give me peace that passes all understanding. Paul saw his life and his happiness as secondary. Sometimes I think we forget that we're bond slaves to Christ and this life isn't about us. We're called bond slaves to Christ, which means we serve him. Yes, master, right? Paul found contentment in that space where Christ was first and the peace of God was with him. God is sufficient 
He loves you and he longs for you to be solely content on him, that he would be your enough, that he would be your enough. He will meet your needs. He will be there for you in the hard times. He will be sufficient. He will be your contentment. He will work all things together for your good. That is a promise that I know you can hold on to. He will redeem it and work it. Jesus in you will be enough. In the last couple of weeks, this has been my mantra as I've been going through, like I said, just some of the depression and transition and thinking of the homeschool year coming up and my husband's job is transitioning and ministry stuff. I just have found myself a little bit like, oh, and you know with depression, whether it's hormonal or any kind, it's not based on reality. It has nothing to do with what's going on. It's 100% like here. And I've just been saying, I wake up in the morning and before things crash, Jesus, be my contentment. Jesus, be my contentment. And that's just been something I've been, I'm in the shower, I'm walking around, and it's changing me. Jesus in you will be enough. Who here is in like a battle for contentment in your situation? You're just like, you don't have to stand up, just lift up your hand. You're like, that's me. I am just... I need to be able to find contentment in this. Um, if somebody has their hand up next to you, just put a hand on their shoulder. Keep your hand up and just let, that's what we're here for. Keep your hand up and let someone put, will someone put a hand on her shoulder right here? I want to make sure everyone right here. I will come do it myself if nobody comes, puts a hand on her right here, right here. I want everybody to have a, if you had your hand raised, if nobody has their hand on your shoulder and your hand was raised, put your hand higher. You have someone on you? Thank you. Yes, because we're going to pray. We're going to pray. God, I thank you for the words of Paul. It gives me hope to read Paul and know everything that he went through and that he still, he learned contentment. That gives me hope that we can learn contentment. Jesus, forgive us for when we, you're the last person we turn to when we find ourselves in a sticky situation. We talk to our friends, we go to coffee, we talk about it to everyone around us, but we don't turn to you when you are our sufficiency when you're the one who will be our contentment, when you are the one who is enough, help us, God, to find the discipline to be like Paul, to see my relationship with Jesus and loving him is number one. Everything else is secondary, and he's going to help me with all that anyway. I pray for each and every woman whose hand went up. God, you know their situations. Father, they are on your radar. Your hands are already in their situations. Your spirit is already moving. You already have things going behind the scenes. You are already three months ahead working things out. You have already made a way that they can't see yet. And I pray, God, for these women that they would right now, a deposit of trust would drop down into their hearts, would drop down into their souls right now. The assurance that knows I'm in God's hands. And it won't be based on any of their circumstances or anything they see right now. It'll be based on who you are in them and that you are enough and that they will trust and know that you are ahead and around the bend and you are already making plans for this situation that they can't see, but you see it. 
an assurance that comes from you alone. I pray that these women would leave here with more of a skip in their step, with more of a lightness in their mind, with a new verse to speak out and meditate on. Jesus, be my contentment. Jesus, you are my enough. Be my enough. The enemy will flee when we speak out, Jesus, you are my enough. So I pray for these women that you would grant them peace that passes all understanding, that you would guard their hearts and their minds by peace because they can do all things. They can make it through this season because you strengthen them and you are with them. I pray for each and every woman here today, God, that they would feel inspired, that they'd feel stirred up and rallied to pursue contentment in their lives like I have, like Paul did, and that we would all leave this like a, like a contentment 101 class and we would graduate and know we are learning the secret of contentment, to be content in all circumstances. God, I'm so grateful that you see us and that you were over all, all of us and all of our families and all of our circumstances and that we are not alone and that we can all independently call on you and you hear us and you move and you help us and you strengthen us. I'm so glad we're not alone. And God, if there's any woman in here that doesn't know you that way, that doesn't know you as the caregiver and the caretaker and the healer, that Jesus, they would find you and meet you and invite you to be Lord of their lives so that they can be a part of this family that has such a loving and amazing father and such a powerful and equipping and loyal spirit. I thank you, God. Bless these women. We love you, God. Amen. There are some questions, but I kind of added one today that I want you guys to start with on your discussion questions. So you all have remotes at your table. Look at the remote. And if this was your life remote, what would you be pressing and why? Now, you don't have to spend your whole time on that, but if you, if you can think about, if you're like, yeah, I want to answer that one, talk about that, and then you can go into the rest of the discussion questions. And then we're going to have a dance party. <laughs>